Last week, you may remember if you were here, we began looking at the story of Jonah. In doing so, we were reminded of this fact that God called Jonah to go and preach a message to the people of Nineveh. And as God made his will known to uh, Jonah as it related to this uh, desire for him to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, we know that that was not something that uh, Jonah wanted to do. Uh, the people of Nineveh were made up of the Assyrians, people who were known to be cruel and ruthless, and they were not friends of the people of the Jews. And so, humanly speaking, it made sense that Jonah would not want to go, but nonetheless, that was God's will for his life, and that was God's desire for his life. But rather than obeying that call and rather than obeying God's will for his life, Jonah went the opposite direction, and rather than headed, heading toward uh, Nineveh, he was going to head toward a place called Tarshish, about as far away, humanly speaking, as you could get from Nineveh. And so he decided that he was going to run, and he thought he would run from the presence of the Lord. That's what the Scripture says. He thought he would run from the presence of the Lord. And as I dealt with the text last week and tried to explain it to us, I talked about how as believers, God has a will for every one of our lives. God has a desire for every one of our lives. Obviously, it would be different for each person. Not everyone can be a preacher, not everyone can be a missionary, not everyone could be in full-time Christian service, but God does have a desire and God has a will for every one of our lives. And many times we're not too keen or too excited about the will that God has for our life. That's not what we wanted to do, or maybe there are legitimate reasons why in our mind it ought not be us who has been called to do that. And yet God's will for our life is just that. It is God's will for our life. And we have to decide, will we be obedient or disobedient? And many times, unfortunately, people decide to run. People assume that they can run and they can outrun the presence of God and they're going to move so quickly or they'll move so far away. Spiritually speaking, that God will not know where they're at and God will not be able to locate them. And what we fail to realize, as Jonah failed to realize, is this. No matter where we run, no matter where we hide, God knows exactly where we're at. God sees exactly what we're doing, and we never outrun the presence of God. So it would be far better for us when God makes his will known to us to simply submit and to say, yes, I'll do, and yes, I'll go. Yes, Lord, whatever it is you'd have for me to do. It would be so much better if we would surrender to his, his will immediately rather than to run. It's with that in mind that we're going to continue uh, in the next couple of verses this morning here in the story of Jonah. Before we do, I want to begin with a statement and begin with a thought that I know I have shared in times past, in years past. And I want to make this thought abundantly clear before I get to the the, or I want to make this statement abundantly clear before we get to the thought that I'm going to have us consider for just a moment. I, I want to be very clear on this, that having children is a blessing. I, I am so blessed, I believe, as a father uh, to have the experience that I've had to uh, be a dad to Nathan and Hannah and Leah. Uh, children are a blessing. I feel sorry for people who want children, but they are unable to have them. And I cringe whenever I hear people who say they don't want them because it'll mess up their dreams or their ambitions. Well, that's a sorry attitude. Children are an absolute blessing from God. That in mind, having children are not for the weak. Having children are not for the weak. 
Are they a blessing? Yes, they are. Do they add much joy to a person's life? Yes, they do. Do they infuse a, a sense of energy that you would not otherwise have? You better believe it, but you better be ready. Because all of us know children require much, and they require a lot from us. I think all of us as parents have had experiences like this, at, at least similar to what I'm about to say, but we've all had that crying child in the middle of the night. And we have no idea why the child is crying. We have no idea why they are fussy. We have no idea why they're not sleeping. Why is it that this child is in the middle of the night, wide awake and yelling and screaming and crying? What is it that's going on? And, and you do everything you can to try to find out if they're in pain or if they're in some measure of discomfort. You do everything you can to try to figure it out. And the whole time, they're just screaming. They're just yelling. They're just crying. And again, you don't know why. We've all had the sick child. Maybe they're manifesting their sickness in different ways, but they're sick and they are unable to communicate what is wrong. They're unable to tell you what is hurting. They're unable to, to tell you this is what's happening in my body right now, dad or mom, and yet you know they're sick. You know something's not right, but, but, but man, it's just it's, it's frustrating, is it not? What is happening and what is going on? We've all had at least one child at least one time try to impose their will over your will. And as a result, there's a battle of the wills. This child is beginning to develop their personality, and your personality is already fairly well developed. And so here this child is, maybe just a few months old, maybe a couple of years old, but, but they're now trying to impose their will upon your will and their thoughts or their feelings on your thoughts and your feelings. And, and you know sometimes that in raising children, there's a battle of the will. And as our children go, grow older, as our children get a little bit of years under their belt, so to speak, and, and they begin to mature a little bit, they sometimes begin to think that uh, they pretty much know it all. And let's not act like we weren't that child at one time. I remember thinking there was basically nothing else my dad or mom could teach me because I basically knew it all. A few years ago, I realized that was not the case. But we go through these stages with our kids, and you can tell that they just kind of think we're stupid. Like we don't know anything, like it's a miracle that we made it this far in life. And it can be difficult, and it can be challenging, can it not? And so here we are as parents, and from the time our children are born and we bring them home from the hospital and the nurses are no longer present to take care of them every time they cry or whimper or need a diaper change, from the moment we bring them home from the hospital and we begin dealing with them, it is one chore after one chore after one chore after another chore, and it is task after task after task after task. And, and many times, again, while a blessing, many times... It can be very difficult to be a parent. As that is so, you know what I've discovered of my children and really every other child I've, I've had experience with? They are oblivious to what they are doing to their parents. You understand that? When that child is seven, eight, nine months old standing in the 
crib holding on to the side screaming. They have no idea what time of day it is or what time of night it is. They have no concern that dad or mom has to get up the next morning and go to work. I mean, they're completely oblivious to the fact that there are other people in the house trying to rest. Whenever that child is sick and whenever that child is, you know, running the fever or whatever it may be and and mom is losing sleep and dad is worried and dad is anxious and mom is saying, should we call the doctor? Do we take him to the emergency room? Whatever it may be, that child is completely oblivious to what it is they're doing to the parents. Whenever that child is trying to impose its will on the will of the parent, they don't know the kind of battle that they're creating for the house. They just don't get it. They just don't understand. And whenever that child turns into a preteen or a teen and they're struggling with their own identity and trying to figure out who they are and, and, and some of the attitudes they may get sometimes, they don't understand the kind of stress that it's putting on a home. It doesn't register with them. It's not something that their mind can process. It's not something that their mind can digest. They are oblivious to everything they are putting the family through at that time with whatever struggles they are dealing with themselves. And here's the amazing thing that you can try to explain it to a child and even though you explain it and even though you identify it and even though you reveal it to them they still don't care because they're oblivious to it. What do I mean? I mean this. I, on many occasions, heard Susie say something like this. Listen, you can't do this. You're being naughty. And the child is six months old or eight months old. And at no point did any of our kids say, gotcha, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. No, I mean, Susie was revealing it to him. Susie was explaining it to him. But you know what? They didn't care. Because again, even though it was brought to their attention, it was like, well, whatever, it's not affecting me. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. I'll rest all afternoon while you have to get things done. See, it doesn't process with them. And once you bring it to their attention, it still doesn't affect them because it doesn't affect them. Try to explain to that young person who is struggling with their attitude, struggling with their spirit right now. Not that they're rebellious, not that they're bad kids. I would say this of my kids. They're not rebellious by any stretch. But, but you talk to them and you say, now listen, you can't have that attitude. We can't be talking that way. We can't be responding that way. It's just not right. And, and, and sometimes, as much as they don't mean this, you can just look in their eyes that it's kind of a blank response. They'll figure it out one day when they're dealing with their own children. Because I know there were times that my parents looked into my face and saw in my eyes just kind of a glazed over, whatever. I hear you, Dad, and I hear you, Mom, but I'm not getting it. You know why I wasn't getting it? Because it wasn't really affecting me. You understand how this works? Here, here are our children, and man, they're a blessing, and they're wonderful. They're fantastic to, to have around and to have a part of their life, to have a part of your life, but I mean... It's, it's work, and it's struggles, and they're oblivious to it. And when you tell them about it, they don't even really process it because their mind doesn't even really concern themselves with it because, well, it's, it's not me that's really being affected right now. Now, with that thought in mind, with that simple truth in mind, this morning I want us to think about something doesn't really have a bearing on the message except it kind of gives us a little bit of context of things 
I want us to think about what the culture was like a couple of thousand years ago. I, I know that sin has always been present. I know that sin has always been around. But I'm guessing a few thousand years ago, men were still expected to be men. I understand that sin existed and you had, oh, maybe some men who were on the effeminate side and, and some men who were not of the right persuasion as they were supposed to be or the scripture wouldn't have dealt with this thousands of years ago. Okay, I understand that sin has always been present, but I can promise you this, several thousand years ago you weren't allowed to flaunt it and parade it like you can in today's culture. All right, so back then men were expected to be men no matter what. Men were men. They were manly men. Now, I say that by way of just some context and to give us a little bit of a setting here. Okay, it says in verse number 4, understanding what Jonah has done, that he's gone down to Joppa and he's got on this ship and he's made his way or he's going to be in the process of, of making his way to this area of Tarshish. I want us to notice in verse number 5 that it mentions the mariners. Okay, it mentions the mariners. Who were the mariners? Well, these were the people who would have either owned the boat or who would have been employees of the one who owned the boat that was responsible for getting cargo and goods, supplies, whatever would have been on the ship, getting it from point A to point B. Okay, that is who the mariners would have been. Now, keep in mind, please, these men would have been men. The metrosexuals of their day did not hang out on the ships trying to get the cargo from one point to another point. Okay, the, the, the men who kind of walked around with the limp wrist and a soft touch to their step or their stride, listen, those were not the men who would have been dealing with the ships in their day. The men back then would have been men. These were men who no doubt had been on the waters more than once. They had experience on the waters. Nobody just decided one day, you know what, I've never done this shipping business. I've never tried to move cargo from this port to another port. I think that'd be a good idea. I'm just going to go out and buy a ship and see if I can make this thing work. No, these men, by the time they would have gotten to this stage of their life, they would have been men who had been out on the open waters more than a handful of times. Which meant, no doubt, they had seen different circumstances arise while out on the waters. You don't have to be at the lake very many times to find yourself in different situations related to the weather. So if you're a shipman and this is how you make your living, if you are a mariner and you work on these ships and you're constantly in the waters, understand, please, they knew what it was like to get caught in situations that were not necessarily favorable. Things that would have been rough, things that would have been difficult, things that they would have had to have been mindful of. They knew their business. They knew some of the risks that were associated with the business. But notice what it says in verse number 4. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest. The Scripture says that there was a mighty tempest that was brought on not because of natural circumstances, not because of Mother Nature, not because of anything of that nature, but it says specifically that the Lord sent this great wind and there was a mighty tempest. This storm was brought about by the hand of God. 
We can say that with certainty. We can say that with no sense of question in our heart or mind at all. This storm was brought about by the hand of God. What is a mighty tempest? A mighty tempest is this. It is a violent storm with high winds and rain. So this is not choppy water. This is not some white caps. This is not, you know, just a little bit of uneasiness or a little bit of a rocking of the boat. No, this would have been a violent storm with high winds and a lot of rain and no doubt all sorts of waves crashing against the the ship or, or the boat. And notice what it says there in verse number four about this mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. These men who were manly men, who had been on the waters no doubt many times before, who had no doubt seen many different types of circumstances, many different types of situations related to the weather and and other things, this was a situation that they were not familiar with, not something that they had seen on many occasions before, and that says that the ship was like to be broken. Here is what these men are thinking, that this ship would not be able to, to sustain the storm that they were in. With the waves that were crashing, with the way that the boat would have been rocking, with everything that the boat was having to endure, here is what these mariners thought and truly believed. This ship is not going to make it. And so notice what it says of these manly men, these men who knew what they were doing, who had encountered situations before. It says in verse number 5, Then the mariners were afraid. Man, let me ask you something. How often do we like to admit our, our fear? It's not something that we're prone to do very often. I don't walk into a situation and say, Susie, I'm scared. I don't walk into a situation and say, kids, y'all, y'all be tough because daddy's afraid right now. That's not how most men handle themselves. Most men like to put up a good facade even if on the inside they are trembling. And so I I may be with my family, and there have certainly been instances like this. I've been with my family, and on the inside, there is an uneasiness, and there is an unrest to my soul. And and I'm not liking the situation I'm in, but you know what I've got to do? I've got to be strong. I've got to be the one who is confident. I've got to be the one that that exudes some kind of strength and some kind of resolve in this situation to, to let Susie know that everything's going to be okay and to let the kids know that everything is going to be okay. We as men don't often like to show or admit our fear. But notice what it says of these men, that the mariners were afraid. Well, how afraid were they? They were so afraid that they cried every man unto his God. That's fearful. When unreligious men start getting religious and crying out to their God. These were not men crying out to Jehovah God. These were not men who were crying out to to the one who had sent the storm. No, these are men who they've got this religion and maybe this one's got their religion and this one's got their own religion. And now they're on the ship and this storm has come and this storm is, is so violent that they truly believe that the ship will not be able to withstand it. And they are scared to death. And you've got all these men crying out to their God for help. I can promise you this was not a usual scenario on any ship in their day. This was not something that they sat around and talked about at the pub. Yeah, you should have seen us the other day. We were all a bunch of scared 
kids, you know, just screaming and crying and, and yelling out to our gods. That is not what they talked about. That is not how they would have expressed themselves. And notice how scared they were. Not only were they crying out unto their gods, but it says, and cast forth the wares or the cargo that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. What was the cargo or the wares? It was the merchandise that they're trying to transport from the shipper to the receiver. The cargo or the wares is the things that they were paid for to, to move from this location to the next location. Now, you and I understand the business of this, that if you get from one port to the next port without the cargo, the paycheck is going to be relatively small. Okay. I'm not a businessman in that regard, and I understand that. You don't just show up to the port and say, well, you know, we didn't make it here, but I'd sure like for you to pay me for everything. To throw cargo off the side of the ship was not something you would do flippantly. It's not something that you would do without some hesitation. It's not something that you would do without some thought to this. But you know what these men are? These men are absolutely desperate because of the situation they are in. At this point, they're not thinking about a payday. At this point, they're not thinking about their reputation as a shipping company or whatever it may be. At this point, they're not thinking about anything other than survival. So here are these men, they are out on a ship, no doubt, not the first time in their life that they've been on a ship, certainly not the first storm they've ever encountered, but this is an unusual circumstance, this is an unusual situation. Now they're afraid the ship will be broken, they're crying out to their gods, whatever god it is that they serve, and they are throwing the cargo overboard, doing everything they can to lighten the ship. Now, humanly speaking, and I know we know the, uh, the, the story, so therefore we know the answer, but humanly speaking, if we did not know the story, where would we assume Jonah was at during all of this? Well, you would assume, if you did not know the story, that Jonah would have been just as terrified as the mariners. I mean, you put me on a large ship that's rocking back and forth with that kind of I don't know, that, that kind of violence where the mariners are on the top deck throwing things overboard, crying out to their gods. I have a feeling if I'm the guy on the ship, I'm going, whoa, this is significant. I probably ought to be worried. You know, if a couple of months ago when Susie and I were on that cruise, if we had seen all the, the crew members crying and screaming and, and throwing things overboard, I don't think Susie and I would have just sat there and said, I wonder if they do this on all the cruises. It would have registered with me something is wrong here. Now, again, humanly speaking, if you're Jonah, you would assume that he would be up on the top deck. You would assume that he would be nervous. You would assume that he would be scared. You would assume that he would be helping throw the stuff overboard. You would assume that he'd be crying out to his God. But what do we know of Jonah and his whereabouts at this time? Well, it says right there in verse number 5, it says, But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. You know where Jonah's at in the midst of this storm? He's at the bottom of the boat where crew members or passengers could have slept. And not only is he sleeping, he is sleeping soundly. 
Now, why is this storm even here? Well, as we'll learn next week and as we'll be reminded of next week, the storm was sent by God because of Jonah's own rebellion and Jonah's own disobedience. So I want us to think about this. Why is this storm happening? Why is this storm taking place? Why are these manly men scared to death and crying out to their gods and throwing the stuff overboard? Why is this happening? Because of Jonah's actions, because of his rebellion, because of his disobedience. And while Jonah should have been fully aware of everything he was putting the mariners through, you know what was true of him? He was oblivious to it. He didn't know that the men on the upper deck were scared to death. He didn't know that the men on the upper deck were crying out to their gods. He didn't know that they were throwing things overboard. No, Jonah is completely oblivious to everything his rebellion and his disobedience is creating and causing and stirring for everyone else. He's like a child screaming in the middle of the night, completely oblivious to what he's doing or what it's doing to its parent. It's like Jonah is completely unaware of everything that his actions are doing to the mariners. And notice what it says in verse number 6. This is how asleep Jonah was. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? What in the world are you doing? How is it that you can sleep through this? Notice what he says. Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. You know what the shipmaster said to Jonah? He is saying, what in the world are you doing sleeping right now? You need to be up and you need to be calling upon thy God, your God, not our God. You need to be calling upon thy God so that maybe God will think upon us or or think about us and that we perish not. Now, you would think, again, rationally speaking, logically speaking, humanly speaking, that once Jonah was awakened out of his sleep, and once he began to realize everything that was going on, you would think that Jonah would say something like this, I am so sorry. I did not mean to cause this. I am so sorry, I did not mean to create this problem for you. You would think that Jonah would have some sense of decency about him to say, man, I I am so sorry, this is my fault. You would think that there would be some desire on his part to apologize. You know what Jonah basically does? He basically rises up, wipes the sleep out of his eyes, And says, oh, I can tell you why this is happening. Uh, It's my fault. But is he overly concerned? Is he distraught? Is he bothered? Is he upset? Is Is he disturbed at what his actions have caused and created for these other men? No, he's not a bit upset or worked up or bothered about it. Huh. It's quite the storm. It's no good. Basically, oh well. Because here's what we'll see again in a couple of messages. Jonah refuses to deal with his own rebellion. He's not going to. He will force others to deal with his rebellion. 
So here are men on a ship trying to get to Tarshish. They deal with the storm that the Lord has sent. It is a violent storm with winds and rains. The men are scared to death. The ship is not going to make it. We're all going to die. They're going to cry out to their gods. They're going to wake Jonah up. And in the midst of all this, Jonah is oblivious to it. And when he finally learns what's going on, Jonah doesn't even care. Well, obviously, that's a sad commentary on the life of Jonah, is it not? Would you agree? I mean, you don't have to get excited about this, but could you at least nod your head and say, yeah, that's a bad commentary on the life of Jonah. Now, think about this for just a moment, okay, as it would relate to human beings today. God has a will for people, kind of like God had a desire and a will and a plan for Jonah, correct? Okay, and so we said last week that a lot of times people look at that will for their life. They look at God's plan for their life and they say, well, that's not really what I'm interested in. Okay, that's not what you're interested in, but will you obey or will you disobey? Well, a lot of people look at it and they say, well, you know, I think I'm going to disobey. I think I'll go the opposite direction, if not in my flesh and in the way that I handle myself on the outside. In my heart, I'm just going to run the opposite direction, and, and I'm going to do the exact opposite of what God wants me to do. Now, now, listen, we all have the right to exercise such a will. We all have the right to exercise such a decision in our life. But understand, please, as I have said many times and as many others have said many other times before, you and I are not responsible or we are not then, uh, we're not allowed to dictate what the consequences will be for our act of rebellion. Because, see, here's what has happened. Here's what happens when a child of God runs from the will of God. At some point, storms arise. See, a child of God cannot run from the will of God and run from the plan of God and the desire of God forever and there be no consequence. Does this make sense? A person can run for a little while, and it may seem as though things are going well, and it may seem as though there is no consequence to to the running aspect of their spiritual life. They can run for a while, but at some point there are going to be problems that arise because of the person's rebellion to God's will for their life. Now, I'm not going to stand here before you this morning and say, I have seen this hundreds of times or I have seen this thousands of times because I have not personally witnessed this hundreds of times or thousands of times. But I could say this, I think I have witnessed this several dozen times. I have watched this happen multiple, multiple times where an individual knows what God's will is for their life and they have essentially said, I don't care what God's will is. And I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to go my own direction and I will, you know, I will chart the path of my own life. And and here's what happens. Storms arise. They begin to arise in their marriage. They begin to arise in their children. The storms begin to arise sometimes with their relationships, they, they begin to arise sometimes as it relates to work or their finances or their health or, or, or their overall joy, their overall happiness, their overall contentment. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then all of a sudden, these storms began popping up. 
And many times it's not just them that is affected by the storm. It is everyone else who is affected by the storm. But they're so selfish. You know what they are? They are spiritually asleep to what they are doing to everybody around them. As they run from God's will, they are completely oblivious to the storm that has been created in their marriage based upon their own rebellion. They are completely oblivious to the storm that has been created between them and their children because of their spiritual rebellion. They are completely oblivious to the storm that has arisen because of their spiritual rebellion. They are completely oblivious to the storm that's arisen as it relates to their health or their finances or other relationships in their life. And so while this storm is taking place and while things are falling apart, while people are dealing with emotions and they're dealing with fears and they're dealing with all these other things, you've got the spiritual who is completely ignorant of everything they are putting that person or those people through. I promise you I've watched that happen a couple dozen times. And here's the sad thing. Many times you can confront such a person. Many times you can say something to such a person. You can say something like this, wake up. Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see what's taking place? Don't you see what we're going through? Don't you see what everyone you supposedly love and care for is going through? When you say to them something like this, wake up, don't you see it? Many times they respond with something like this. Huh. Huh. With no real concern for what has been brought to their attention. Do you not see what's happening in your marriage? Well, it'll, it'll be fine. Are you that stupid? Does it look like it's fine? So you really think, I mean, not only is it not fine now, you think it's going to somehow get fine? It's not going to get fine. Do, do you see what is happening with your children right now? Do you see how they are following in your footsteps? Do you see how they are imitating you? Do you not see the division that is being created in the home between you and your children? Do you not see that they're no longer concerned about the things of God like you're no longer concerned about the things of God? Do you not see it? Oh, huh. Huh. I mean, are you going to do anything about it? I don't know. Try to wake him up spiritually, and if you do wake him up long enough to acknowledge it, you know what you don't see? You don't see much of a concern or much of a passion or a desire to correct anything. Hey, did you realize that maybe it's not everybody else who's wrong at work? Maybe it's you? Huh. Huh. Oh, wow. Well, okay. But no concern. No desire to resolve anything. No desire to fix anything. 
Just continue to be spiritually just continue to be spiritually rebellious. See, over and over again, you see the life of Jonah played out in people. Here's God's will. Here's God's desire. Here's God's plan. Well, God, thanks, but I'm not interested. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to run the opposite direction. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the assumption is everything will be okay. Well, it's not going to be okay. It's never a profitable or valuable thing to run from the will of God. So at some point, the storm is going to arise. And at some point, it will begin affecting other people, whether you realize it or, or whether a person realizes it or not. And, and, and many times, when you do wake him up to see it, they still don't care. Amen. Not enough to address it. So the personal application is fairly simple, is it not? Okay, does God have a will for your life? Well, I don't know. No, he does have a will for your life. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, then God has a will for your life. I don't know exactly what that will may be. I don't know exactly what that plan may be. But I do know this. God has a will and God has a plan and a desire for your life. Okay, so what are you doing with it? Uh, you know, I'm kind of running right now. Well, can I tell you how that will end? It's going to end with storms that cause problems for everyone around you, whether you realize it or not. Well, you know, I'm just I'm struggling with God's will right now. I, I understand that there is a struggle. Trust me, I've struggled with God's will on many occasions. But, but can I tell you what will happen if you don't get that struggle resolved? Storms are going to rise. There's going to be problems. There's going to be serious problems, serious consequences, serious ramifications. You could lose things that are valuable. You could go through all sorts of emotional turmoil that you ought not have to deal with. You could deal with a lot of different things or make people deal with a lot of different things that you ought not have to if you don't get that struggle resolved. It's no different for us than it is for anyone else. See, this morning, I, I need to be reminded as much as anyone needs to be reminded. Okay, Kyle, here's my plan for your life. Okay, good. Here, here's your plan, God. All right, uh, what am I going to do with that plan? Okay, I'm either going to obey or I'm going to disobey. Those are the only options I have. And I need to be reminded that if I decide, you know, well, God, I'm not really... I'm not really enjoying your plan for my life right now, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the reins, and I'm going to take control, and I'm going to run my own direction. I need to be reminded uh, this will not happen without storms. Amen. The storms will come, and it will affect a whole lot of people whether I see it or not. Amen. And the same is true of you. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves over and over and over and over again is this. Am I in God's will for my life? Am I in God's perfect will for my life? Am I exactly where I am supposed to be right now? Am I striving to be obedient to God's will for my life? Am I doing what God is wanting me to do? Am I obedient right now to God's will for my life? See, we've got to ask that over and over and over again because it is so easy for us to run and to assume that it will all be okay. It won't be. 
It won't be. It won't be. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning to take serious the example of Jonah's life, to take serious the storms and the problems and the trials that he created for those who were around him.